So we've been talking about change. We've been talking about becoming. We've been talking about uh, who we were, who we are, and who God is making us to be. And uh, as Steve was saying, we are not always uh, excited about, we don't always welcome change, but sometimes we do. I mean, think about uh, how we are willing to pay some big bucks to have somebody teach us how to hit a little white ball 10 yards further or maybe a little bit straighter or get it into the hole with a a few less strokes or, you know, head over to the Y, you head over to Lifetime, and uh, there are people who are trying to change there as well, you know, change the shape a little bit after all those uh, Christmas uh, dinners and and, and those sorts of things. And this week I was looking on Amazon, uh, amazon amazon.com, and I found that there are 114 thousand self-help books on amazon.com. So obviously somebody is buying those books. So some people want to change, uh, you know, and I, and I was looking at that and I was struck by the number one best-selling self-help book on amazon.com. Any guesses? Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And I kid you not, that was number one best-selling self-help book, followed very closely by on the art of war. And I was just like, what? How did that happen? Now, I'm a former computer geek, so I know exactly how it happened. Someone was either goofing around or something. But, but then I started thinking about it, and I realized, no, that actually makes some sense. I mean, think about it. We have to deal with some pretty unusual people on a day-to-day basis, and we can probably learn from Alice and how she dealt with all those you know, different animals and different people that she ran into. And if that doesn't work, just follow the advice on, on the art of war, and you can get rid of them, and you're all set there, you know? <laughs> So I guess it makes sense that they're there. And, you know, you got some of the others, Eat, Pray, Love, and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and, and, and that sort of thing. But transformation and change and personal growth uh, is important to us, and it's something that we want. It's not always easy. We don't always welcome it because it's uh, sometimes painful, but it's part, of our, it's part of our lives. And we have a God Uh, who transforms us, who changes us, who works in us from the inside out. And he does a better job than uh, the books on Amazon.com. And there are some pretty good books on uh, Amazon there, some pretty good self-help books. Yet God works uh, often in a very different way and in a very, very powerful way. And I want to take a look at at, at some of the ways in which God works this morning. And I want to do that by highlighting three different people whom God transformed in, in the Bible. The Bible is just full of stories of different people and about how God works in their lives to change them, to make them more and more the kind of person uh, that he wants them to be. And I want to take a look at three. And if you've been around uh, Renaissance or any other church for a period of time, you've probably heard of at least one, if not uh, two or all three of these different characters. If they're new to you, great. And you, and you can check out more and read more about their stories uh, later on. But I want to start with a guy named Moses. Moses was uh, the son of two Hebrew slaves who was uh, living in Egypt, um, 1400, 1500 or so uh, BC. And uh, he was, because of things that were going on in the politics then, he was set out to die. And uh, he was actually picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh, the daughter of the king of Egypt at that point. And she took him, adopted him, raised him as her son, brought him into the royal palace, and he was raised, essentially, if you've ever seen the movie, as a prince of Egypt. And some people think maybe he was in line for the throne. That's hard to know. Uh, But the point is, he got the best possible education, 
uh, that he could have. And it's kind of ironic that a Hebrew slave uh, was put in this kind of a position. And it appears that Moses was, uh, you know, maybe became a little bit arrogant, a little bit self-centered, self-reliant. And uh, one day he's out and he's looking around and he sees uh, one of the Egyptians beaten on one of the Hebrew slaves. And uh, Moses decides he's going to get up and he's going to defend the Hebrew slave. In fact, he kind of had this idea that maybe he could, you know, be used to free all the Hebrews from from bondage to slavery uh, in Egypt there. And so Moses ends up actually killing the Egyptian. Pharaoh finds out about it and Moses has to flee. He ends up spending 40 years wandering around in the desert. And, uh, you know, he made a new life for himself there. But during those 40 years, Moses' pride, his self-reliance, his arrogance, his self-centeredness, all that was slowly but surely chipped away. Forty years later, Moses is a broken and a humbled man, and God appears to him and says, now's the time when you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, what? Me? I can't speak. They're not going to listen to me. There's no way. And God says, that's true, but they will listen to me, and I'm going to speak through you. And, and, and there's much, much more to the story. But God transformed Moses first from this this arrogant, you know, kind of impulsive kind of a guy, humbles him, brings him very, very low, and then says, okay, now you're ready. And God used him to lead the two million uh, Hebrew slaves uh, out of Egypt. And Moses became one of the greatest leaders uh, that we have record of in the Bible. Another guy you may have heard of uh, is Peter. Uh, in the New Testament. Peter was this brash, kind of uh, impulsive guy. He seemed to open his mouth uh, primarily to switch feet. Um, you know, he's best known, yeah, there's some of us, sometimes I feel like that myself, you know. He's best known, Peter's best known for what? Denying Jesus on the night that Jesus, you know, just before Jesus died. Uh, it, you know, Peter had said to Jesus, hey, although everybody's going to, you know, desert you, I'm never going to desert you. I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus says, oh yeah, before the night's over, you're going to deny three times that you know me. And sure enough, Peter's standing there when Jesus is on trial and a servant girl comes up to him and says, I know you were with Jesus. He's like, oh, I don't know who you're talking about. Who, you know, Jesus, I, I, excuse me. I, I'm not sure I'm hearing you correctly. And three different times, Peter says, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm not a follower of Jesus. You know, and the last time, Jesus is being led across the courtyard from one side, of the, one side to the other. And as Peter says, I don't know the man, Jesus turns and looks at him. And Peter just melts because he realizes, what have I done? I've denied the one who I followed for these three and a half years. I've denied the one who loved me. I've denied essentially my savior. And he just melts. Jesus is crucified the next day. He rises again, and several days later, he's gathered his disciples. They're having breakfast on the beach, and he pulls Peter aside. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter kind of hangs his head, and he says, yeah, I love you. Jesus says, Peter, do you really love me? Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And he does that three times, asks him three times, corresponding to the three denials that Peter had. And finally, Jesus says, tend my sheep take care of my lambs. And he's not talking about the bang, you know, kind of lambs and sheep. He's talking about people. He's saying, take care of my followers. And Peter, he still had the, you know, the foot and mouth disease from time to time. But Peter 
ended up becoming one of the key leaders in the early church. And he wrote two books of the New Testament that 2,000 years later, we're still reading and are still benefiting us. So God took this brash and you know, impulsive kind of a guy and turned him into one of the key leaders in the early church. And then the third guy that I want to talk about today, just real briefly, is Saul. Not the Saul of the Old Testament who we talked about, King Saul, uh, who we talked about this past fall, but the Saul of the New Testament. And this Saul was a radical Jew. He, his life's mission was to destroy Christianity. See, in those days, Judaism, I'm sorry, Christianity was a sect of Judaism. It's kind of like a denomination within Judaism. And Paul didn't like this. And so he made it his life's work to stamp out and to destroy this early Christianity. And so uh, he had authority from the Jewish religious leaders to go and to imprison uh, Christians wherever he could find them, and, and in some cases to have them executed. And so this is what this is what Paul, or what Saul was all about. And one day, he's going down the road, and he's, he's uh, working to try to stamp out Christianity, and God whacks him upside the head and says, excuse me, uh, Saul, uh, I'm the one who you're persecuting. And Saul is knocked flat on his back. He's blinded, you know, and God gets a hold of him that way, and he has this encounter with God. And then God takes him transforms him and turns him from being the chief persecutor of Christianity to its chief spokesman. He goes from trying to kill Christians to trying to help them to grow in their faith. And in fact, he is one of the primary evangelists, one of the primary missionaries, one of the primary people who spread the good news about Jesus. And God, in sort of a very ironic way, takes this radical Jew of Jews and says, you're going to take my message, not just to the Jews, but ultimately to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And he just turns Paul completely around and transforms him in a pretty incredible way. And as I was thinking about these three guys and really dozens of others uh, in the Bible, I noticed several things that they all have in common and uh, the way in which God worked in their lives, <clears throat> excuse me, the way in which God transformed them. And I want to take a look at uh, three three kind of takeaways, three different principles that we can glean from them and how they can apply to our lives. And the first one is we have to recognize our need. We got to realize that we're in need of transformation. Moses and Peter and Paul all recognize that. You know, for Moses, he needed time. He needed 40 years of wandering on the backside of the desert before he was ready for God to transform him. Peter, all he needed really was a look from Jesus. You know, if you've got kids, some of them you kind of, man, it takes a lot to get through to them, and others, all you got to do is look cross-eyed at them, and they melt. That was Peter, you know? So he needed that, and he, then at that point, he recognized his need. He recognized that he was messed up, and he needed healing from Jesus and Paul, he needed a whack upside the head. He was a tougher nut, and that's how, how God worked in him. And God works in us in different ways, but for all of us, unless we recognize our need, nothing's ever going to change. Jesus puts it this way in Mark chapter 2. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If everything's okay, I'm not going to change. If I don't sense my need, 
then I'm gonna be satisfied with where I am and nothing's gonna change. I'm not gonna go to the doctor if I, if I don't think that I'm sick and need healing. You know, the, the old joke, how many psychiatrists uh, does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but the light bulb really has to wanna be changed, you know? And it's, that's true, you know? And uh, we gotta believe, we gotta believe that we need to be changed. But the thing is, God, God is not satisfied to simply work on our surface needs. I mean, take, I don't know, uh, take a short temper, you know, problem with anger. Yeah, God wants us to improve and not, and not fly off the handle uh, so quickly. And you can get all sorts of techniques, you know, count to 10 before you start yelling or, you know, hold your breath till you turn blue in the face or, you know, whatever, all sorts of different things that you can do to try to deal with that surface behavior. But if you ask yourself, what's really going on behind that anger? If you ask psychiatrists or psychologists, they'll tell you there are dozens of possible root causes behind that anger. It could be unfulfilled expectations. It could be a a demanding kind of a heart. Uh, It could be depression. It could be some sort of a chemical imbalance. There's all sorts of roots that could be behind that anger. Or what about addictions, whether it's substance abuse or, or a, a addictions to certain kinds of relationships or you know, whatever it may be. All sorts of heart causes behind that. And yes, God wants to change that surface behavior, but he does it by getting at the heart. He wants to change our hearts. And if our heart is changed then our behavior is going to change as well. And so we shouldn't be satisfied simply with surface change. We need to dig deeper and get at what's going on in our hearts. And that's where really uh, the, the second principle comes in. We need, uh, you know, not only do we need to recognize our need, we need to encounter God. We need to see him for who he is, and we need for him to kind of do a a spiritual x-ray or a spiritual MRI or a spiritual CAT scan on us and see what's going on deep down inside and change change us beginning from the inside out. Moses and and, and Peter and Paul were all transformed when they encountered God. Moses ended up leading two million Israelites out of Egypt when he encountered God at the burning bush. If if you're not familiar with the story, Moses is, is again, he's tending sheep on the backside of the desert and he walks, he sees this bush that's kind of on fire and he's like, what is this? And he walks over to try to figure out what's going on and he hears this voice coming to him out of the bush that says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And he has an encounter with the God of his fathers who says to him, I'm gonna use you to lead my people out of Egypt. And that was the beginning of the transformation for Moses. Peter, his transformation really began on that beach when he was having breakfast with Jesus. And Paul, his transformation began when he encountered God, uh, when he was walking down the road and God whacked him upside the head. And in each of those three guys' lives, God began a process of transformation and a process of change. And, And for us, we don't typically see God in a burning bush or you know, having breakfast with him on the beach or, uh, you know, sometimes he does whack us upside the head, but uh, hopefully, not, hopefully not too often. Hopefully we're a little bit more sensitive uh, than to need that. God works in us primarily. We encounter him primarily through prayer and, and through reading the Bible. And let me just pause for a second. Here you got your pastor standing up here saying, 
you need to pray and you need to read the Bible. And you know, if you've been in church for more than 15 minutes, you've probably heard that before. It's kind of like, you know, what's the, uh, the old uh, television commercial for Quaker Oats? And Wil- Wilford Brimley says, it's the right thing to do, you know. So the pastor says it's the right thing to do and to pray and, and, and read your Bible. And that's true. But the question is really what's going on when we're praying? What's going on when we're reading, uh, when we're reading and studying and meditating on uh, the Bible? Think about prayer. We're not talking just about thanking God for our food or asking him to give us safety as we travel or guidance as we're about to deal with a difficult situation with work or, I don't know, healing for Aunt Bertha's ingrown toenail, you know, and all those things are good and all those things are important and we absolutely should be praying for those things. But we need to be going deeper than that and we need to be praying that God would do that spiritual MRI and see what's going on in our hearts and show us that and begin that process of transformation from the inside out. David, who was a king in, uh, in Israel, actually one of Rich's favorite characters in the Bible, and he, he loves talking about him. David wrote a bunch of the Psalms. <clears throat> in one Psalm that David wrote, Psalm 139, he says this, it's a great prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to pray like David prayed and just said, God, show me what's going on in my heart. It's not going to be fun all the time. It's not going to be easy. You know, I, I will use anger. I, I lose my temper. Lord, what's really going on with that? I can count to 10 all I want, but something's wrong in my heart. Help me to see that. And then he goes on, actually, in Psalm 51, a different psalm, and he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And what's, what's amazing about this psalm is David wrote this after he had just committed adultery and murder. And so here you got the king of Israel, who's supposed to be you know, someone who people look up to, a spiritual leader, and yet he just slept with another man's wife and then had the guy killed in order to cover it up. And he's like, you know what? My behavior is messed up, but the root cause is what's going on in my heart. So create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I need heart transformation, David says. And that's the kind of thing that we need to pray as well. God, Change my heart. Change me from the inside out. And then God promises that he will do that. The prophet Ezekiel, speaking on behalf of God, says, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What God is saying here is, God's saying he knows that our hearts can be hard that we can be unwilling to admit when we're wrong, that no matter how hard we try, it's sometimes impossible to do what's right. So we need to pray, God, change my heart. And God says, I will. I'll put a new heart in you. I'll turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and I'll move you to live the way that you want me to do. So yeah, he's concerned about the surface behavior, but he wants to get at that through our hearts. And that's the kind of radical life-changing transformation that can take us from who we were to who we are becoming, who God wants us to be, because he starts on the inside and works his way out. 
So we need to pray and ask God to do that kind of heart work in us. And the other way in which we encounter God is through the Bible, through his word, through reading and praying about and meditating on and memorizing and just kind of internalizing the Bible and and, uh, what God has to say for us there. Uh, Prayer is a great way in which we communicate to God, and, and he speaks back to us as well through prayer. But his primary means of communicating to us is through the Bible. And if we want to grow in our relationship with him, we've got to spend time in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4 in the New Testament, the writer says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word, the Bible, the scriptures, is like a sword that can cut through all the junk in our lives and get to what's really going on. All our excuses, all our defenses, all of the stuff that we're confused about. If we really take the time not just to let our eyes pass over the page and turn one page after another and and another without really thinking about and praying about and considering what's really going on. If we take the time to, to, to meditate on it, to chew on it, to pray about it, God is gonna use his word to begin to transform us and to change us from the inside out. January is a great time to start new habits, to start new things. It's a great month to start reading the Bible. And if you have never read the Bible before, if you, uh, maybe you've done it dozens of times and you want to, you know, kind of start it again. January is a great month. And so is February and so is March, and so is April, and all the rest of the months of the year. It doesn't matter when you start. And it doesn't matter how fast you go. Some people say, I want to read the Bible through in a year. Great. But if you're like me, sometimes you get bogged down. You know, maybe you start in Genesis and Exodus, and then you get to Leviticus, and you read the leprosy laws, and you know, this sort of thing, or the flock counts in the book of Numbers, and you get a little bit bogged down. What's interesting is, the more the time that you spend in the Bible, the more you realize there's some pretty cool stuff in those leprosy laws and in those flock counts. But that, that's a message for another day. My point is that whether you read a verse a day, a paragraph a, you know, a day, a chapter a day, or you know, the whole Bible in one year, the goal is that you want to be reading it, you want to be spending time in it, you want it to get it into you. And I've got an approach that I want to share with you that's uh, new, kind of, you know, brilliant idea that I came up with this week. It's called Keep the Bookmark Moving. Just keep the bookmark moving forward. You know, every other book that we read, what do we do? We read page one, and then we turn the page, and we read page two, and then we turn, you know, we've been doing that since we were in first grade. But when it comes to the Bible, sometimes we don't do that. So just keep that bookmark moving forward, whether it takes you weeks or months or years to accomplish whatever your goal is. Just keep it moving forward. If you're new to this whole Christianity thing, you're kind of just checking out who Jesus is, let me encourage you. Start at the beginning of the New Testament. Grab one of the Bibles that's in in the cafe on the resource shelves there and open it up. Find where it talks about the New Testament in the table of contents. And the first book there is the Gospel of Matthew. It's a biography of Jesus that a guy named Matthew wrote. In fact, there are four biographies. The first four parts of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are biographies of Jesus. If you did nothing other than read those four biographies of Jesus, just 
you know, paragraph by paragraph, page by page, you would grow in incredible ways in your understanding of who Jesus is, and you'd find he's beginning to transform you even without you having to try. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, and you want to do, you know, you want to get out two bookmarks, one for the New Testament and one for the Old Testament. Great. Whatever pattern or plan or idea you want to follow, just keep moving forward and asking God to work in your life to kind of cut through all the junk and help you to see who you really are and who he really is. So we need to recognize our need. We need to uh, encounter God. And finally, we have to remember that transformation is a process. It's a process that takes time. We need to be patient. Change doesn't occur overnight. It's, it's really a lifetime process for us. Think of Peter. He, you know, he was this open mouth, insert foot guy. And uh, after God began working on him, he didn't put his foot in his mouth quite so much. He, you know, it decreased more and more over time. He was really a three steps forward, two steps back kind of a guy. Uh, he messed up a bunch of times, but he kept growing and he kept growing and he kept growing. And as he grew, God transformed him more and more. Paul, Paul, 14 years it took from the time that God whacked him upside the head on the side of the road to the time that he really took off in his ministry, to the time that he really became the chief thinker and the chief spokesman for early Christianity. A period of 14 years for the Apostle Paul. So for all of us, it's really a lifetime process uh, that, that God works in us. And Paul himself writes in, in the book of Philippians, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident that he, that God who began a good work, who began that process of transformation in us is going to be faithful and he's going to carry it on to completion throughout the rest of our lives until either we die or Jesus comes back to take us to be with him. And so God began a process and he's going to complete it, this this process of transformation. I want to I close this morning with a verse that just really sums up well uh, most of what we've been talking about this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What Paul is saying there is, as we look at Jesus and see him, for who he is, as we contemplate him, not just as we let our, our eyes pass over the pages of the Bible, not just as we say, you know, thank you, God, for my food, but as we do some real business with God in prayer, as we really think about who Jesus is, as we really meditate on his character, on his grace, on his love, as we sing the songs that we sang this morning and they really begin to move us, as those things happen, as we see Jesus for who he is, then he transforms us into his image, meaning he makes us to become more and more and more like himself. We develop his character qualities because God's working in us, starting with our hearts, and that works itself out in the way that we live our lives. And it's God who's at work doing that in our lives. And our job 
is simply to, to humble ourselves, come before him and saying, Lord, I need your change. I need your transformation. I need your help because I just can't do it on my own. So search me, oh God, and know me. See what's going on in my heart and change me from the inside out. As we see God, as we see Jesus for who he is, we're gonna be drawn to him. We're gonna love him more. We're gonna wanna be with him. And we're gonna begin to more and more and more develop his character because he's gonna transform us and he's gonna make us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. Our God is a God who transforms us, a God who changes us, a God who works in us for our good and also for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we are, we're grateful for the fact that you don't, you don't uh, reject us when we don't measure up to your standards. I thank you that you're a God who forgives us, a God who loves us, <clears throat> and a God who transforms us, who works in our hearts, who meets us where we are, whether we need time like Moses needed, whether all we need is a glance like Peter needed, or whether we need a whack upside the head like Paul needed. Father, you're going to meet us where we are. You're going to show us yourself, and you're going to transform us. And so, Father, I pray for each of us, for myself and for all of us who, who are here, that in 2011, I pray that you would do some powerful transforming work in our lives. Clear away a lot of the garbage that's there. Get out our hearts. Help us to see where the flaws are. Help us to humble ourselves before you. And I pray that you'd work powerfully in us to make us more and more like yourself and to bring glory to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.